0: All right. Well, we are all in here this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we are going to be talking about Proverbs 18:17. 17. It's a verse that is applicable to many facets of life, a verse that says that the first to present his case seems right until another comes forward to examine him. And so we are going to exemplify that this morning in the area of Doctrine, biblical doctrine, because that is, of course, our most valued area that we want to uh, apply this principle to. This principle applies to um, all kinds of areas, to, to business, to politics. Uh, you want to examine somebody who makes a presentation, right? The first who present his case seems right until another comes forward to examine him. Uh, obviously, in a judicial sense, that could be the case that somebody seems right until they are cross examined and we're going to have some false views of the Bible presented this morning. So I wanna make sure that that is clear. So you guys need to um, really put on your listening ears and pay attention because the first person who's gonna present their case is going to be presenting it in a way that is meant to seem compelling. It's meant to seem um, like something that is going to, to be true, and we're going to be using the Bible to do so, and then somebody else is going to get up and cross-examine that person, and they are going to present biblically what we here at Orchard Bible Church believe, Orchard Hills Bible Church believe. So again, put on your listening ears and pay attention. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'll put on my heretic hat. So when I say amen, (laughs) be Weary, all right. (laughs) Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth that we can stand on it. We know that there are many who take and twist and manipulate your word and pervert your word. We pray that you would help us to stand firm, um, realizing that there will be sheep that will rise up even from amidst ourselves. That you would help us to be wise and to know your word, know it well, to be able to. exhort and to correct and to rebuke that you would help us to um, to be wise God help us to Know you better and to know your word more fully. God draws closer to you this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen All right, we'll go ahead and take out your bibles And i'm going to be showing you from your bibles this morning how blood transfusions are something that we must be avoiding that as believers in Jehovah, in the one true high and living God, that we must be avoiding blood transfusions at all costs. It's a relatively recent medical procedure um, and something that has been condemned by Jehovah's ancient word. And so I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Leviticus 17. Turn to Leviticus 17. I'm going to be reading from the the New World Translation. In Leviticus 17, starting in verse 10, it says, For as for any man of the house of Israel, or some alien resident who is residing as an alien in your midst, who eats any sort of blood, I shall certainly set my face against that soul that is eating the blood, and I shall indeed cut him off from among his people. Now, I want to stop here and just show you and, and point out the fact that this is talking not only to Israel, but it mentions any other alien resident so God doesn't only have Israel in mind that's a a common objection to this it's Leviticus 17 and verse 10 so God has in mind both Israel and any other foreign uh, resident who happens to be there he wants both of them to observe this practice of abstaining from blood and he uses very strong language he says I shall certainly set my face against the soul that is eating blood I shall indeed cut him off from among his people. I think it's pretty clear even from the get-go that God does not want people um, to... Hi, Mandy. We're, I'm a hair right now. <laughs> God does not want people to partake of blood in any respect. Verse 11. For the soul of the flesh is in the blood, and I myself have put it upon the altar for you to make atonement for your souls, because it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul in it. Again, we see here that the, the soul is in the blood. The life is in the blood. That's the purpose of the blood. The purpose is to make atonement. It's not for eating. It's not for putting in your body, but it's to make atonement. Uh, blood is very important. It symbolizes the soul. It symbolizes life. And that's why Jehovah wants us to abstain from it at, at all costs. Verse 12. This is why I have said to the sons of Israel. Yes. Uh, welcome. We are doing something different today. (laughs) I am presenting a false view of scripture. (laughs) So, in just a moment, Dean will be getting up and he will be correcting all the the heresy that I am about to spout. (laughs) Yep. We are we're doing this series on Proverbs eighteen seventeen, 17, and that verse says that the first to present his case seems right until another comes forward to examine him. So right now I'm presenting a, a false view of um, blood and how we should handle blood in scripture. And we are in Leviticus 17, <laughs> um, picking up in verse 13. Um Says, as for any man of the sons of Israel, or some alien resident who is residing as an alien in your midst, who is haunt, hunting catch, catches of wild beasts or a fowl that may be eaten, he must in that case pour its blood out and cover it with dust. And so here in this verse, we see that regardless of the type of animal, regardless of the type of blood, God has said that we should abstain from it, whether it's fowl, whether it's uh, wild beasts, that we should abstain from all of it. And then we see also at the very beginning of the next verse, for the soul of every sort of flesh is its blood by the soul in it. So all sorts of flesh, whether it be animal, fowl, fish, human, uh, we are to abstain from it. Consequently, I said to the sons of Israel, you must not eat the blood of any sort of flesh because the soul of every sort of flesh is its blood anyone eating it will be cut off. So once again, just to summarize, God is talking to both Israel and the foreigners, and he's saying, you must stay away from blood. This blood is not for you. You need to abstain from it. Um, He includes all types of animals, all flesh, and no less than five times he uses very strong language to speak out against this. He says, I shall certainly set my face against the soul. I shall indeed cut him off. No soul of you must eat blood. He must, in that case, pour its blood. You must not eat the blood of any sort of flesh, and anyone eating it will be cut off. So this is something that Jehovah is very strong on, something that he wants us to abstain from. He made it very clear in Leviticus 17, speaking to Israel and about the foreigners that would come into Israel. He wants everybody to abstain from blood. This is also reiterated in Deuteronomy 12:23, very similar passage. And another, um, another objection to this view is that this is something that's just for the Old Testament, that it's not for us today. Well, this is also reiterated in the New Testament. So I want you to turn with me to Acts 15, and we'll see how Jehovah re-gives this, this ordinance to abstain from blood. So Acts 15, we'll be picking up in verse... 19. Remember, this is in the, the Jerusalem Council where they're talking about circumcision, whether or not Gentiles need to be circumcised, and James is about to give his declaration on whether or not they need to be circumcised, and he includes a couple of other things that they are to abstain from, even though they don't have to engage in the practice of circumcision. So Acts 15, starting in verse 19. Hence, my decision is not to trouble those from the nation who are turning to God, but to write them to abstain from all things polluted by idols and from fornication and from what has been strangled and from blood. Now jump down to verse 28. We'll see the same thing again. For the Holy Spirit and we ourselves have favored adding no further burden to you except these necessary things to keep abstaining from things sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you carefully keep yourself from these things, you will prosper. Good health to you. So again, we see this reiterated here in the New Testament, that it's not just for the Old Testament saints, but it's for New Testament believers as well to abstain from blood. We see that it is distinguished from the command to abstain from sacrifice to idols. There's this necessary... Um, burden that he's imposing upon them, and he separates it from uh, looking to idols and abstaining from things sacrificed to idols. He says to abstain from blood. Separate from that, and then also separate from that is the the command to abstain from fornication, which most people will commonly look at and say, "Well, yes, we are to abstain from fornication." So, if we are to partake of blood, even in blood transfusions, we must recognize that we are sinning against Jehovah and his clear command in both the Old and the New Testament. And that comes with the same weight as uh, his command to abstain from fornication. Jesus has come along uh, in the New Testament. We see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 that he elevated the law, that he had the Old Testament law and he added to it and he made it better. He said, you've heard it say you shall not murder. I say to you, if you hate your brother, you have murdered in your heart. You've heard it say you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, if you have lust for a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. The same thing is happening here, that God is coming along. He's saying, well, I've told you before in the Old Testament not to eat from blood. I'm telling you now to abstain from blood altogether in any respect, including blood transfusions. Again, blood transfusions are a relatively new medical practice and we need to refer to Jehovah's old law rather than what the medical community is suggesting today. I have a couple of quotes from articles that I want to read to you. Uh, In August 2012, the Journal Archives of the Internal Medicine published the results of a study of heart surgery patient at at one center during a period of 28 years. Jehovah's Witnesses fared better than similarly matched patients who received blood transfusions. The witnesses had fewer in-hospital complications, better early survival rates, and similar 20-year survival rates when compared with patients who received transfusions. An article in the Wall Street Journal published in April 8, 2013, stated that bloodless surgery operations performed without the use of donated blood has been done for years on patients with religious objections to transfusions. Now hospitals are embracing the practice more widely. Surgeons who championed blood Bloodless surgeries say that in addition to reducing costs related to buying, storing, processing, testing, and transfusing blood, the techniques reduce the risk of transfusion-related infections and complications that keep patients in the hospital longer. And then one more quote from JW.org. The Bible commands that we not ingest blood, so we should not accept whole blood or its primary components in any form, whether offered as food or as transfusion. God has told us to abstain from blood. I think that means in any respect, um, whether we eat it, whether we shoot it up in our veins, whether we go to a hospital and have somebody else do that for us. um, It's like saying that I don't shoot up meth, I just smoke it, right? It's not, it doesn't make it better. Um, Just because we don't eat of the blood and we get it put in our body in a different way, that doesn't justify it, doesn't make it better. All right, Dean's going to come up and correct that. And then we'll uh, take some questions, comments from, from everybody else.
1: Okay. Well, turn with me. Let's go and start in Acts as well. But let's go to chapter 10. Chapter 10, uh, I'll just start in verse 9. We're a little out of context here, but um, you remember the story and follow along. It says, On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowering by four corners to the ground. And there were in all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and the birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, the voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed no longer considers unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So although this law from Leviticus 17 and, and Deuteronomy was extremely important and, and very uh, dear to uh, the Jewish community and everyone who did live among them and, and uh, lived with them, And worshipped their God. Um, Peter here he was he was very intent on keeping this law as well. And what the Bible teaches us is what we learn from Scripture and from God's just grace and His mercy. And we always need to be reminded that we are we are freed from the law. We are freed from the dietary restrictions that were given. Um, We are freed from many things that are put in the law that we're in the Old Covenant, because we live in the New Covenant now. In the New Covenant, we are covered in grace. Uh, his grace exceeds all of our sin, and it goes well beyond um, what the law ever covered. Um, but the blood played a major role, a major role in the Old Testament. As we read in, in Leviticus there, um, the blood is, is the, the life of every living creature, um, human and animal and everything. That that is the lifeblood. It, it what is what God considers um, you know very important and extremely. We shouldn't neglect the importance of the blood because it is everything's life. Uh, the blood was seen as significant because God required it in the sacrificial system of the law. It was it was what was used to wash away the sins of His people, and it was um, used uh, and in many senses. And at many times throughout the year, and of course the um, Day of Atonement that they did once a year, that was, that was for the whole nation, the whole group of Israel. Um, and it was so important that they did that and they followed that and that they understood um, the importance of the blood and that it was being spilled for them. Um, and it leads us to what? That illustration of the blood being spilled, of the importance of it, it brings us to the cross and it brings us to Christ on the cross and what he did for us and the importance of that versus anything that we ever eat versus anything that, um, that has any importance in life. It, nothing is more important than him doing that and that act on the cross for us where he spilled his blood, which is the most precious blood. It was the perfect blood, the sinless blood and the one person, the one human that could live that way, and that was spilled for us, and it was the ultimate sacrifice, and it was the ultimate um, cleansing. Right from then, it was done; it no longer needed to be accomplished after that. All the cleansing for all of God's people, for eternity, uh, was accomplished through His work on the cross. Um, we see in Acts 10 that the the event there was twofold, and one it was talking about um, the meat that uh, Peter was able to eat different food than he was allowed to eat before right um, but it, uh, the vision goes on and our uh, the sorry the chapter goes on and talks about um, the next person that came into uh, Peter's life at that moment and it was a, a Gentile and he was to um, eat with him too so uh, the second half of that vision, it talks about um, allowing the Gentiles to be a part of this as well, to be a part of the salvation, and we're all very extremely grateful for that. It's important to know that and to understand that as this happened in, uh, in this period of time with the apostles and with Peter, um, that it wasn't just the Jews, that were allowed to be a part of God's salvation and the gift, but uh, the Gentiles as well. Um, I'm going to flip over to Colossians two sixteen real quick. Two sixteen reads. Paul's talking to this church. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to the festival or a new moon or Sabbath day. Things that were a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking the stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows in the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Um, another verse I wanna read real quick would be Galatians 5.1. Back to that. Paul here has said, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject, again, to the yoke of slavery. Um, and here Paul's talking, you know, about our our slavery to, to sin, our slavery to the worldly things, to the desires of our flesh, um, and um, that, we were, we were slaves to that. We are freed with Christ's work on the cross. And uh, nothing can undo that. 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, which we went over recently in our sermon series, reads, But food will not condemn us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. Remember reading through that? Mark 11, oh sorry, Mark 7, 18 through 19. And he said to them, you are so lacking in understanding also, this is Jesus speaking, do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated And then you see in parentheses here, thus he declared all foods clean. So that's great news. That usually gets skipped and passed over pretty quickly in this type of discussion. Um, But that's important for us to to know that and understand that as well. Um, And then back over to Romans 14. Oops. Romans 14, 14 says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Um, so we need to remember that now we are um, under God's grace and his, his gift is freedom. We aren't under slavery of uh, sin and we're not bound uh, by every part of the, the law, especially the dietary law. Um, and I, I, I did miss the part in here where it says blood transfusions were, were not allowed. Um, that's like saying we're not allowed to watch uh, certain movies, right? Um, the Bible doesn't talk about that. It doesn't go over that. Um, there are moral aspects of that that we need to um, be conscious of. And what my heart convicts me of in guilt and sin, it, it might not you and vice versa, right? That can go with many things in, in life. Um, Christians should not be afraid uh any way whatsoever um, to receiving type of blunt transfusion, no matter what the experts say, no matter what um, the articles may come out that say that one way is better or another. This is a, a conviction in our heart, and if it's something that one of our brothers or sisters needs, we're, we need them and want them to get that. The doctors are the, the experts in their field and if um, this was truly something that, that led to everyone's death quicker and faster, uh, the doctors wouldn't be doing it, right? Um, that would be malpractice and this is something that is is new and is um, more relevant today than in the past, but the transfusions are, are not something that we need to be um, held to in our mind that we just can't do and can't accept this this isn't something that uh, the Bible states it isn't clear to Christians that we can't do that and um, We don't we don't see it in there, so um, there's there's many good reasons and um, There's there's many reasons in our heart that would convince one to do one or the other and one aspect or the other but uh, in regards to um, the blood in itself and Acts 15 that they talked over uh, we need to look at that in retrospective what was the context of it and they're giving instructions to to Gentiles to pagans to folks that were living a life um, that revolved around idol sacrifice that revolved around um, the killing and, and eating of, of animals um, maybe they were alive when they ate them maybe they strangled them to keep the blood in them um, and cooked them that way or however they did it but um, they, they are now living amongst their brothers and sisters that were uh, Jewish by nature uh, or by, um, by birth, right? That they grew up in a system where that was uh, completely unacceptable and it was unclean. And just like you and me need to be able to live together in, in peace and for us to succeed as a church and a body and a group, um, they were given encouragement to those, those pagans that are now Christians to um, abstain for those things for their brother's sake uh, so that they can live together um, in peace and harmony. Also in uh, First Corinthians, we've talked about that as well. And as, as one finds it okay and the other doesn't, um, doesn't mean we need to do everything that we're allowed to do. And it's important that we are uh, very aware of our brothers and sisters in Christ and what they are convicted of and be conscious of that. Um, but in this regard, in this aspect, uh, the, the matter of blood transfusions specifically uh, should not be anything that um, would, would come between the two. And if, it, and if it does, for some reason, it would be a great instant and chance to have um, more study to that uh, together as as a body and as a group.
2: Okay, okay. so that was uh, the first heresy or false teaching presented and rebuked. And we're going to do another one to make sure that we have enough time at the end. We'll do all the Q&A stuff at the end. Um, so hang on to that. That was... Blood transfusions are sinful versus a biblical view of blood transfusions. And now we're going to do a different topic, okay? And let me get into character. Hold on. Okay, now maybe you might know who, uh, what I'm doing here, okay? So I was going to ride a bike in here. I had big plans, and then that just didn't work out. But. Um, Okay, what I want you to do is take out some notes where you can write these down. I'm going to be reading the scriptures to you because there are lots of scriptures I'm going to be presenting. And if you're going to try to keep up, you may not be able to catch everything. So just write these down and I'll read them to you. Um, And I want to talk to you about our pre-mortal life, our pre-existence, the life that we lived before coming to earth, before we passed through the veil. And I'm so thankful I was invited to speak here at this church today. You guys just seem like such lovely, wonderful people. Uh, it's just so—it smells nice. Everything is great. Happy days. And uh, and I I want to present to you this doctrine from the Bible because this is a Bible church, right? And so I want to keep everything very biblical. And uh, maybe one day we could look at some of the other things that Heavenly Father has shown us. But today we'll just look at the scriptures and. As we talk about the preexistence, the first thing I want to tell you is that the preexistence is biblical. It's biblical. There are two things. The first one is that the preexistence is biblical. And that means that people existed in heaven before they took on earthly bodies. When I talk about the preexistence, it's talking about that time when we existed in heaven before we took on earthly bodies. And I'll start by reading to you from Job 38, this is verses 4 through 7. It says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. This is uh, Heavenly Father speaking to Job. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases sunk? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And finally, listen to this. He asks Job, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Asking him, were you there when that happened? When all the sons of God shouted for joy. We see that this was at creation. The sons of God were shouting for joy with Heavenly Father. There were sons present at creation, shouting for joy because they existed beforehand. God created their spirits before he created the world. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, it says, remember him, Before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. And it says this, Then dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to the God who gave it. God gives spirits to our bodies, spirits that already are, spirits that have been existing for a very long time, and we return to God as our bodies of dust go back to the dust. Our spirits return to our Heavenly Father. This is an extremely clear passage, teaching that our spirits existed before our bodies. In Acts 17, Paul was preaching at Mars Hill. That sounds like a funny place, huh, Mars Hill? And Paul was preaching to the Gentiles there. And this is verses 26 through 28 of Acts 17. He said, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live On all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and listen to this, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children." The apostle is plainly teaching that all people are children of God. We all come from God. We are all his children because he's the father of our spirits. In Hebrews 12:9, it says, We have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? Heavenly Father is the father of our spirits. We are all his children, and he loves us very much. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God foreknew us. And I was actually in a Sunday school class in this church just last week talking about this verse. And it was very clear in that class that God didn't just foreknow events that would happen. God foreknew people. It says, those whom he foreknew. God knew us. It was a relationship. He had a relationship with us beforehand, and he desires that we become more like the Savior in this life. That's what Romans eight twenty nine is very clearly teaching all of God's children. We also see in the scriptures that people had a personal relationship with God as they took on, before they took on, their earthly bodies. In Jeremiah chapter 1, the prophet says, "'Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, "'Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. "'And before you were born, I consecrated you. "'I have appointed you a prophet to the nations.'" Again, God had a relationship with our spirits beforehand. Before you were formed in the womb, you had a relationship with your heavenly Father the father of your spirit. God didn't simply know that Jeremiah would go on to exist. He knew Jeremiah beforehand because Jeremiah already existed. They had a relationship together. And it appears as though this relationship from before creation was forgotten to Jeremiah because, of course, God here has to remind him that it happened. As Jeremiah passed through into this world, into this material world, it seems as though perhaps some things were forgotten. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul echoes the same thought. He says, When God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased, and it goes on to say what God did. But here Paul is also recognizing that even from his mother's womb he was set apart, he's drawing on the same idea. And one of the most powerful passages from the Bible that teaches our premortal existence is in John chapter 9, verse 2. The man was born blind. you remember that story? And it says that the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now, let me ask you this morning, how can a man be born blind and the cause of that be his own sin? He must have done something in the pre-existence for him to be born blind. That was an option in the minds of the, dis- the disciples. It was the clear understanding of the Jews who knew the Old Testament so much better than we ever could that we each had a personal relationship with God before we were sent to earth. You couldn't have sinned against God before your birth if you had no relationship with Him. Our activity in the premortal life does not or does have some bearing on what our lives start out like here on earth. And we see that in John chapter 9. There are so many scriptures about this, and we just don't have time to view all of them, especially when it comes to church history. all So many church fathers believed this, and I would love to show you all of those things sometime, but we just don't have enough time today. So let me close with this. The preexistence teaches us the great love of God. Not only is it biblical, but it teaches us the great love of our Heavenly Father. Some people believe that God did not have a relationship with us before we came to earth. They believe that God enters into a relationship with us much later on in our lives. God was merely aware that we would come into existence. God set the population in motion with Adam and Eve, but the propagation of humanity has been left up to his creatures. Our spirits are just a part of our bodies, they say. They didn't exist before. So, they're just an aspect of our mere earthly physical existence. However, the scriptures teach us that God had a relationship with us beforehand, and this demonstrates the great love of our Heavenly Father. God brought our spirits into existence before the foundation of the world. He has always been our Father who loves us. He knows exactly how many children will be born into this world, not just because of foresight, but because he has a relationship with all his children now and from all eternity. God has cared for our spirits from all time, and this body is just temporary. Our spirits have been sent from heaven, and they will return to heaven to the Father of our spirits. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, Mark, get over here. I'm a different
3: character now. (laughs) There's a good chance he won't be invited back. uh... Okay, so um, when someone gets up um, and gives a um, speech and it sounds very eloquent and very strong. Um, this is probably not what you're going. you're not going to get um, something laid out typically like this. If you did come across someone like him, um, you're probably not going to win an argument in that, okay? You need to be able to articulate the Word of God. Not try to win an argument. And that is a major, very important uh, something to, uh, to to understand. I'm not trying to win an argument against him. I'm going to show through Scripture how we didn't pre-exist. And I might go to some of his passages to explain that you're taking that out of context. You're not understanding what the passages said. Thus is majority of the false teachers of what they do. As for Job, uh, Job, if you go to the first part of Job, Job one six, it says it talks about the sons of God came before uh, before him, and Satan was there as well. We understand Scripture to be teaching us that the sons of God are an angelic beings. These are not man this is not man before we came to earth this is speaking of angelic beings that they rejoiced with God and they were there with him they were uh, in heaven with God and so that is what uh, is being uh, portrayed uh, in the book of Job's uh, in chapter one and also uh, where uh, Jeremy is uh, 30 or elder Smith um <laughs> um, so that, that is a, a, an understanding of biblical. What we would teach here is that this is um, angels, angelic beings. This isn't pre existence of man. Uh, and then you go to Ecclesiastes, um, which can sound very much like we returning the spirits. You know, that the verses uh, could be confusing if you don't understand the context of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is not talking, uh, it it has nothing to do with a pre-existence of man. It is, uh, and especially within this passage, this passage is uh, before you get to verse 7, and uh, after you get to verse 7 is speaking of judgment, okay? And uh, chapter 11 and verse uh, 9 at the end of verse 9 it says uh, "Ye you know that God will bring you to judgment for all the things that is done now um, what is being taught in this book is that all of life is vanity that's what is being uh, taught and when we return the word return we think of Well, you had to have been there before. That's not what it's meaning. We are going to go back. When we are uh, at birth, or when we are created by God, we are given a body and a spirit. The spirit is eternal from that point on. It was not eternal before. It is eternal from that point onward. And when we die, this verse in verse 7 says we're going to return to dust. Uh, This is the decaying of our body, right? If you've ever came across a decayed body, their body has returned to the dust of the ground, and the spirit was returned into God, indicating our eternal state, and we will go to be judged. Okay, that is the context of what Ecclesiastes uh, is is getting at there. Okay, so it's not talking about that we pre-existed, but that when we return, this is a judgment, and we will be judged for what we have done, okay? Um, now, if we have questions on this and need more clarification, I do have to put a disclaimer, okay? I am preaching today, and I spent more time on my sermon than I did preparing for this, and so if, you, if some of these answers are not totally clear, um, <clears throat> the elder Jeremy of this church can uh, clarify more of what he was saying, all right? Um, so, um, but moving on for time's sake, um, in Hebrews, uh, he, he wrote that. This is speaking, you um, uh, see, of those who have trusted in Christ, okay? Or um, are, are the Father of our spirit. This is not speaking of every, God isn't the Father of every spirit, okay? This isn't what Hebrews is referring to. This is the Father of our spirit. This is those that have been regenerated those that have trusted christ as their savior he is the father he's the, our father that is what we call him because of salvation not because we pre-existed or that we when we understand if we take pre-existence and understand that then we would pre-exist and be a form of god and we know that scripture teaches that we are there is only one God, and that we cannot be God. And so if we preexisted our mortal bodies. That would be mean that we are in a likeness as if we were God. Okay, Jeremiah and Paul. This is God's sovereign choosing. Okay, we don't fully grasp the sovereignty of God as humans, but when God uses language in Scripture, He chose us. Um, before we were born. All of this stuff. This is God's sovereign choice of Jeremiah. And it's God's sovereign choice, which we'll be hearing about today uh, a little bit in the sermon, that God sovereignly chose Jeremiah um, before the foundations of the world to be a prophet. It's not that he had a conversation and knew him up in heaven as a spirit, God knew because God has a sovereign plan for all of life, for all of time. God has a sovereign plan, and he, he works that plan out. It's not that we existed there, and He chatted with Jeremiah and said, hey, when you get down to your earthly body, I'll remind you of this, but this is how... No, okay? God has a plan, and He sovereignly works out His plan. The same would go uh, with... Where uh, in Romans 8, 28, and 29, and 30, um, this is God's sovereign choice of salvation. Yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a few more verses. Uh, and, and again, it's context, okay? We got to have the full context of what's being said um, in, in, um, in when someone is bringing an argument. And this is where Tyler. I uh, really wanted to bring this up. You can sound very convincing. If I can probably get you to believe anything if I take scripture out of context, right? Bringing context back in is so important. And Romans 8 is very clear it is speaking of salvation, not the preexistence of man. Uh, he made a major point on John 9 2, right? Where. Uh, was the man, did he sin before, or was it his parents? Uh, and this obviously had to be the pre-existence of man. What do we know about God and what do we know about heaven? Can sin exist in heaven? No, it can't. Okay we cannot God does not allow sin in heaven and when if it did occur what do we know about the angels they were expelled from it they, their sin is not allowed in heaven and so we know that man could not sin we also we know because man did not pre-exist but we this passage could not explain that man sinned before he came into existence because God does not allow sin in heaven there is no sin in heaven. Plus, this was just uh, a thought that was a popular thought at that time. That if a man was blind, deaf, mute, had some kind of a handicap, it was because of sin. And God clearly states in this that this man was blind for a, to uh, accomplish his purpose. You've got to continue to read. Okay, You can't stop as our uh, false teacher here has done, and leave the verse there, you have to continue to read and realize that the man was made blind to accomplish God's purpose. Okay, so very important that we understand that. What we do know about creation of man is that it happened in Genesis chapter two and verse seven. God breathed the life into him. And when it says that God breathed life into him, this is a coming to life at that point. It wasn't like he married to the soul from heaven to, he brought mankind with their soul to life at conception. Okay? Or with Adam at the time that he formed him from the dust of the ground. That is when his life began with his spirit. Uh, it's all a uh it 's all done at the same time it 's not done um, in stages as we uh as we heard earlier okay so um and we could i mean as jeremy was saying or elder Smith was saying, we could go on and on and on uh but for the sake of time, I know we want to have some questions and so um if, again, this is not um, a full, uh, full argument on this, but we do know from what he was saying that really what's going on is we're not using or not looking at the entirety of the chapter to clarify what God is saying. Okay? We, do, we did not exist. We came into being uh, at the time of conception. Okay? That is when our spirit and our body were created and at that point we are eternal beings spiritually and we will be destined to heaven or hell at that point.
0: Alright. Hopefully you guys have had time to come up with some questions. Mark, stay up here. Um, Concerning um, blood transfusions or pre-existence we unfortunately only have a few minutes for a few questions but we want to open that up. If you guys have any questions on Any of those teachings? Yes, Carrie. Yeah, so we'd have to make a distinction between the civil ceremonial and moral law there are three different aspects of the the old testament law the moral law carries on into the new testament things like um, committing adultery and ten commandments um, how we treat one another civil um, law the judicial law that god had for his chosen people israel um, and how they were to operate as a nation that isn't something that we look to as being applicable to us same with the the ceremonial law things that apply to different feasts and festivals that they were to uh, observe that doesn't apply to us today yes say that again uh, that's a different question altogether so what I'm saying is that we don't take God's civil law that applies to Israel and try to apply it to Christianity and Likewise, we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't submit to a civil authority that goes against our sovereign
3: authority, God. grace, what you were asking about grace, um, Romans 6, um, 1 and 6, uh, 15 talk about um, that. Just because um, we don't want to sin so that grace will increase and make God look better, May it never be, okay? And then in verse 15, uh, what then shall we sin because we are under the law, or not under the law, but under grace? May it never be, okay? Neither one, we are, just because we're under grace doesn't mean you can live a sinful life however you want.
0: All right, Okay, Joseph. I i I was talking about taking the blood from the other creatures and consuming it. And God was forbidding that for Israel and for the foreigners that were within Israel. Um, so to the way that I did when I was presenting that falsely, to take and apply that to everybody was um, definitely twisting it. And I made that point uh, preemptively because it's a common argument um, to, and, and rightly so, to limit that to Israel. And it should be limited to Israel at that point in time, because that's how God had given that commandment. It wasn't meant for all people at all times. It's a stretch, so I'm glad that you weren't following. That's good. Yeah. I'm not trying to get you to understand that, so... We're good. But it's their own blood, right? Yeah. But they would say they left the body and they can't go back to the body. So that was very clear. If those partners do certain things, then they're dead. You know, and then you can back to the body. Loopholes, huh? All right. We've got time for one more, maybe. All right, Logan. Yeah, let's not let anybody leave thinking that either Jeremy or I were right in our arguments. We need to talk later, Mike. All right, Logan, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> That's a strong strong statement, strong way to put it. <laughs> uh, well, Titus didn't get circumcised, right? Timothy did, Titus didn't. So if you go with one argument, you have to account for the other. And I think it's pretty clear that Timothy was circumcised for the purpose of the Jews because he was going to minister in a Jewish community, in Jewish synagogues, and so he didn't do it in any way for his salvation. Paul makes it very clear throughout Galatians that uh, circumcision has no aspect uh, in our salvation. But he did it so that he would be heard by the, the lesser, the weaker brother, right? Just like we've been talking about in First Corinthians the last few weeks. Uh, we'll get there again um, in I don't know, a couple weeks, I guess. But, yeah, it's appealing to the weaker brother.
2: Love, people, people complicate things, and love demands patience.
0: All righty, Mark's going to close us out. (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: That's good.
3: <laughs> Mind is made up. Don't confuse me with facts. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, not. We don't want to go into these like Jeremy was saying. We we want to go in with them with love, um, and, and care for the people. Uh, often those you might win the argument and lose the the relationship, right? God's word stands upon itself we don't have to prove them wrong we share God's word Um, and it's helpful to know where they're coming from and get a little bit of understanding Um, but we don't want to get into this argument back and forth of where we just teach God's word yes Yes, it's very difficult to be consistent when you're in error. So, yeah, you'll find consistency is a very difficult thing. Hopefully today was a help reminding you that we need to be able to give an answer to God's, to the truth that lies within us. And uh, maybe you don't always have the answer, uh, but God's Word gives it to you. And so um, if you can't find it and you're in a conversation um, please don't hesitate to reach out to uh, the four of us specifically Jeremy, Tyler, and myself. Um, and don't hesitate to talk to Dean. Okay, and and let us help you through these conversations as well. Okay, well let's pray and fellowship for a little bit. Um, we'll, uh, we'll have a delayed start, maybe we'll start at 10:50. Um, okay, starts well. Ten forty six. So, all right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, uh, Lord. That you are clear in it, and Lord, that we can go to your word um, to understand uh, life and where you uh, desire, how you desire us to live. And uh, there are con, there are confusing and sometimes difficult passages, Lord. But you have given us. Uh, ways to understand your purposes in them, Lord. And I just pray uh, that we would continue to uh, research your word and to dive in and to know you better. And Lord, I just pray that would be our desire uh, so that we can love the lost world around us even more. In your name, amen.